Well, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 87. Psalm 87, just seven verses this evening. It's not very long, but it's quite memorable and important for our souls. Psalm 87, this is God's inspired and therefore inerrant word. A psalm of the sons of Korah, a song. On the holy mountain stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, I mentioned Rahab and Babylon. Behold Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, This one and that one were born in her, for the Most High Himself will establish her. The Lord records as He registers the peoples. This one was born there. Singers and dancers alike say, All my springs are in you. Let us pray. Oh God, we ask now your word would be open. We pray for the ministry of your Holy Spirit, the one who carries along the prophets of old, that indeed he might illumine the word and drive it deep into our hearts, make us more like Jesus in how we think and feel and live, and we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this particular psalm was written by the sons of Korah, and it's a great missionary hymn. It celebrates the conversion of the nations to the church of God. This great ingathering has its roots deep back into the Old Testament, back in Genesis, back in the covenant promises to Father Abraham that he would be a blessing to all the nations. And indeed, that promise has been fulfilled in Christ Jesus our Lord. We've been blessed to see something of that in our own day, in our own congregation, in our own community, in our own country. We have seen the nations come. We, we gather together and worship and we have every tongue and tribe and people and nation, so it seems. From Pentecost down to the present day, the great missionary push of Christ's church continues as the gospel is taken to every tongue and tribe and people and nation, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. And you know, sometimes I wonder, I hope you wonder too, will this in-gathering explode in a a final mass conversion of the nations in a a most startling and and post-millennial kind of way? I I don't know. You know, I'm I'm an ah-mill, and and I have dear friends that are pre-mill, and and I have some other friends that are post-mill, and When we all get together, we just are all pan mill. We know it'll all pan out in the end. But you know, we need to pray like a post mill. And we need to work like a pre mill. And we need to believe and trust like an ah mill. Uh, We need to look to the Lord for our salvation and for our final hope. But what is sure is that God is the one who is shaking the nations, He's gathering in the saints. And sometimes he does that in the most amazing and improbable of ways. 
In Psalm 87, God clues us in on what to expect as we see this great ingathering to His church. The sons of Korah tell us that God's place is in Zion. That God laid the foundation of that city. And that's very true. He's the creator of all that is seen and that is unseen. The dirt beneath our feet, the bedrock underneath, and those mountains that push up by His command from beneath. And they come and display their glories and are seen on high. All of them are by His great command. But in addition to creation, there's redemption. And redemption, it is chosen that that Zion, that hill in Palestine, will play a significant role in the unfolding history of redemption as God promises of the covenant of grace. Is it not true that we have heard it said that from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth, the gospel goes forth in power All of it begins historically in Zion. But today, you and I don't cling to or seek to rebuild Zion. You know, as a child in Sunday school, I think it was was third grade Sunday school, Mrs. Nestle's class, we we had an entire box of those things I had never seen before, sugar cubes. I'd seen Elmer's glue, but sugar cubes I'd never seen. And, and we got to dip them in Elmer's glue, and we built a replica of the temple complex on top of Mount Zion. And afterwards, we wanted to eat it. <laughs> Zion is not a place we seek to replicate or reproduce. As a stage for redemptive history, Zion has served its purpose for now. And we need to remember that. Things have moved on. Zion, as we read about it in the Old Testament, as a physical piece of real estate, is is sort of like a back lot in Hollywood. Filled with memories. Lots of wonderful things happened there. But that's not really where the action is right now. One day when our Lord returns, He may well use that stage again, but it's not the focal point to which now we should cling. Only Jesus is. Therefore, in this local church, we, when faced with the challenge of a building program, did not seek to replicate the tabernacle or the temple complex. Oh, it's true, we have some land, just like they had some land, and Our goal, though, was not to build a temple. It was rather to build a meeting house, a place just like what you're in now, where we can meet, and it's dry, and you can hear, and it's not too hot or too too sweaty a place. We, We can hear the Word of God, and we can sing His praise to His delight. Why do we not seek to rebuild Zion? Well, we seek to build a place that is suitable for God's people here, and now. Facility should flow from function and usefulness and resource. We do not build an ornate temple on Zion. Christ is now our temple. Instead, we build a sanctuary, a meeting house, a place for the sons and daughters of Zion spiritual to gather and to sing and praise and worship and work to His glory. We seek to build a place useful to God in this gospel dispensation. 
He pours out by the power of His Holy Spirit and we seek to work and build so that not one drop of gospel blessing falls to the ground and is lost. But in the old times, God founded His kingdom on earth upon a hill as a foothold and as a symbol pointing forward to His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God built Zion. And God loves the gates of Zion, we're told in verse 2. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than the dwelling places of Jacob. We hear the sons of Korah sing. Jacob's Bethel, Moses' Sinai, Joshua's Shiloh. These are all dear places recorded in the Scriptures. They're a They're a part of redemptive history, part of the great stage on which it's been acted out. But God set His love upon Zion in the days of old more than any of these others. You see, there's nothing really all that special, narrowly speaking, about real estate in Jerusalem in and of itself. You know, if you look at it strategically, there's not an airport in the downtown area. Uh, There's no other kind of port there. There's not a major road through there to anywhere, it's kind of, a, kind of on a little cul-de-sac all its own. What made it special lies outside of itself, in God. In God, in God's choice, in God's selection, in God's election, and the eternal purposes that He had for displaying His glory on that plot of ground. God loves the gates of Zion, and He is the one who makes it great. You see, he lends his glory to Zion. Verse 3 says, Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. You know, it's not like Jerusalem, if you cut all the lights out, kind of glows at night. It's not that that place has halos above it. And, and if you stand there on the hillside and, and look at it from afar, that you, you can faintly hear the sound of angels singing. No, that's... Not what that plot of ground is like. Zion has glory, but its glory is a reflection of the glory of God Himself. Zion's glory comes from Almighty God who made it and sustained it and uses it to His glory. Now in this business of glory, don't misunderstand, I'm not talking about the piece of real estate today anymore. The sons of Korah in their day were, and so it was then. But that plot of ground is not an end in and of itself, but it pointed to Christ. To Christ who was to come, to His church and the glorious blessings of union and communion with the incarnate One of God. So these references to the glory of Zion were intended all along by God to refer to the glory of His church founded only in relation to His Son. And this psalm is not just about this church, that the glory of God should dwell here, that we should reflect His glory. That much is true. But it's true of every church. Every church, wherever Christ is, wherever His name is glorified and His love and truth are held up, His church is glorious because He is glorious. Glorious things can be said about Christ's church, not because of the minister or the associate or the session or the deacons. It's not even the membership that 
is her glory. It is only Christ our Lord that is our glory and our boast. God the Holy Spirit poured out in our midst from the Son by the will of the Father, changing hearts and lives, makes this a glorious place to be when we gather together to sing His praise. You see, that glory is therefore incarnational. It's divinity fitted to our humanity in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is God in the flesh and and we are His church. This is His church. And the Holy Spirit fills Him without measure and, and He pours it out so that the Holy Spirit comes to us, unites us together into His body. We get what He deserves just like He got what we deserved. And God dwells among men and His incarnate Son Just like God dwelt with men in the temporary form of the temple and tabernacle on Zion of old. And it is in the glory of God that you and I are called to live. To live empowered and enabled each day. You see, God can't be separated from His attributes. His power and His life can't be separated from His glory. To have Christ is to have the benefits of Christ. It's to have all of Christ. And so to have Him is to have all of His glory as well. And so if Zion is to have His glory shining through it, then you must have His power and His life shining through you, if indeed you are His own. The blessing of God comes only to us in and by and through His Son. To know Christ is to know His benefits in our lives, pressed down, overflowing, that we might lack nothing in our Christian lives. He is the one who makes every provision for Christian living. Dwell in Zion. That means to dwell in Christ by faith. And you shall know His glory and His power and His life and His forgiveness and His grace and His love in your life. But you might say, I don't feel very glorious. I don't feel very glorious when I wake up in the morning. I I don't feel very glorious as I go through the day. And perhaps you're right. Perhaps the glory of God is the farthest thing from your thinking or from your experience. That could be for a number of different reasons. Perhaps it's because that you're really lost and you don't know Him. Perhaps you've never given yourself to Him. Perhaps you have never truly run to Him for forgiveness by His grace and strength. If that's the case, then then you need to fall to your knees and you need to ask Him to, to forgive you of your sins. You need to profess trust in Him. You need to ask Him to change your heart and to unite Him to your Son and, and to make you new that you too will know His presence in your life and all the glory that comes with it. This free offer, this free offer of the gospel is always held out to each and every one. An open hand extended that we might know the Lord. For you see, everyone is welcome to come to Christ and to His true Zion. And we know that's true because the psalmist goes on to include the Gentiles among the peoples of God. God loves the Gentiles. The Jewish sons of Korah sing 
much to our surprise. Verse 4, among those who know me, I mention Rahab in Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. Now, these are surprising strains to be sung by Jewish people. We, we remember Jonah, and when he was called to go to Gentile peoples, he ran as fast as he could and as far as he could in the other direction. But here the sons of Korah are rejoicing that God loves the Gentiles, not just the Jews. And not just Gentiles in general, but the worst ones of the lot. The language here of Rahab points to Egypt, according to Isaiah 30 and verse 7, which enslaved Israel cruelly, crushed her, and sought to undo her. Babylon, which carried Israel into captivity with violence and hatred. Philistia. You remember who's from Philistia, don't you? That really tall fellow that David had to bring down with a rock in the grace of God. Oh, it was the land of Goliath which scoffed and cursed at God. Here under inspiration, the the Gentile nations mentioned are not sophisticated uh, nations in whom there's something that we might look and desire, but rather they are those who, from the perspective of redemptive history, have been the main enemies of Israel and sought to undo her. You see, the truth of the gospel is is that the church is not just drawn from among Gentile peoples that honored the Lord. God chose the bad and the ugly among the Gentiles too. And that's God's good news for you and for me. It means there's room in the kingdom for such as the likes of us. God loves Gentiles and we're even told that He enrolls them. Verse 5 says, And of Zion it shall be said, This one and that one were born in her. For the Most High Himself will establish her. The Lord records as He registers the peoples. This one was born there. And then there's that little shalal. We're supposed to stop and and kind of chew the cud and ruminate on that. There's there's probably a little, little harp interlude while we try to take all of that in. What? These other nations? They too were born in Zion. They are recorded with their name in the book of life. How is this? How can this be? God enrolls His chosen Gentiles as natives of Zion. They're they're not off in a ghetto. They're, They're not off in some separate court. The wall of division has been broken down. In His good time, they're gathered in. And they're given passports. And they can go anywhere in the city and anywhere in the temple because the temple is Christ Jesus our Lord. They are granted all the rights and privileges thereunto appertaining in the city of Yahweh, of Zion. Their names are recorded and that means that they'll never be forgotten. Their names will not be lost. There'll be no um, computer malfunction with with the records all gone, they have the passport. This is now their home and their place and their right to be with their Heavenly Father. This census also serves as a warning to the nations that these chosen ones are precious to the Lord 
and must not be touched and will not be touched with impunity. Think of it today. The world is today a lot like it has been for a long time, is it not? This evening in Syria, there are doubtless scores of believers who trust in Christ who live under the violent and oppressive hand of ISIS. Believers, Christians. And what is their reward for their identification with Jesus? Brutality, kidnapping, and murder. That's what. The sword of militant Islam hangs over them and we are treated to the delightful show of multiple beheadings at one one time of those who name the name of Jesus. But the Lord knows their names. Each one who trusts in Him is enrolled in the Lamb's book of life. And mark my words, God here tells us that their Heavenly Father will not leave their persecutors unpunished. That He will make things right. That He indeed will be the one who returns with wrath. God has enrolled them in His city. Their names are secure. And so He stands and His book stands as a warning to all persecutors. God will not hold them guiltless who mistreat His children. All the nations being born again in Jerusalem means all the nations being born again in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's counting, God's mathematics is higher and more complex than ours. We look at someone and we say, you're not from around here. And Jesus says, he's mine. She's mine. This is my child that I have made born again by the will of my power and the work of my Holy Spirit applying the work of my Son. Their name shall not be forgotten. They will never be cast out. He counts the sinner as a saint because they're in Christ Jesus. United to Christ, their sons and daughters of Abraham. Of Abraham. No matter what the genetic code of their blood coursing through their veins, they are His in the Beloved, safe and secure in His everlasting arms. And so I ask you, you must face the question over again in your life, is your name enrolled in the Lamb's book of life? Have you trusted in Christ for your salvation? Do you look alone to Him for your hope and surety? The safety of your soul, is it in the hands of the Savior? When you do trust in Him, there's great rejoicing on earth and in heaven. And that's reflected also in this Old Testament psalm as the hymn, as the song comes to an end. Singers, verse 7 says, and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. Now this is again speaking out of the the reality of the Old Testament temple complex and the worship which was had there. You had vocalists and instrumentalists who, who cried out with a concophony of praise at the time of the sacrifice. And so God's musicians there served in the temple to highlight the importance of Christ's death on the cross 
of the profound and glorious moment of His sacrifice and its implications for all of our lives. And so God's musicians in that place led in His worship and praise. They sing, and as it were, we sing with them. But their singing was not a performance for performance's sake. They they were not seeking to impress us with the portfolio of what they could play or, or what they could sing. They were playing and singing that our hearts might rise with theirs in the holy worship of God. Heartfelt rejoicing in Christ our Savior to come who draws the foreign nations to Himself, makes them born again in Zion in His Son. And the substance of the fact of this great work of God comes by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon all the nations of the world that leads to hearts that overflow with joy and gladness before Him who is the Savior of all. And so Psalm 87 calls to you this evening and simply says this, Come, come and trust in Christ. Come and cast all your cares on Him. Come and live in Him, in union and communion with Him. Trust in Jesus, and you too will be saved. Let us pray. Oh, our Father and our God, we do ask for your blessing. Upon our lives, may we dwell in Zion in truth, not on a particular rock, but may we dwell upon the rock which is Christ Jesus, our Lord. May you enroll us too. May we know the security and the assurance of a passport of faith. And may we walk as becomes the sons and daughters of Zion. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.